Revelation chapter 15 tonight. Revelation chapter 15. We're moving right along. I'm not sure when we start in the book of Revelation, but we're moving through it. And if you didn't get to hear all the other ones and you want to hear them, you can find them online on YouTube and things like that. And so I think for our church Facebook page, I think some uh, I think someone's trying to spam it. They keep saying I keep doing illegal things on and they're going to cut out our thing unless I give them whatever paperwork they want. And so they say that every week now for six months and they still haven't stopped it. So just let it go on and see what happens there. I don't even know what they're talking about. But... Um, here in the book of Revelation, we've talked about a lot of things, and we've gone, it seems like we've gone all over the place, because the book does not go in order of events. So sometimes you think, you read a book, and you're on chapter 15 in the book, and it's like the book just keeps building upon itself. The book of Revelation doesn't do that. It jumps around and goes all around, and sometimes in chapter 12, it goes back and talks about things before all this started and all the things that happened and so it goes all around caroline asked me a while back she was like um you should give uh you should pass out a paper or something with an outline of how the whole book is split up and so you can look online and find lots of different ones and i find a lot of different ones that are very incorrect and then um i mean the people have that's when it comes to the book of revelation there is so much out there and so many different opinions about this or that, and, um, and what, it, what it comes down to is some of this stuff, we look at it, and we try to be a matter of fact with certain things, but if the Bible isn't clear, and it's symbolism of something, we could be wrong about that symbolism just a little bit. I hate, I know some of us would hate to think anybody could ever be wrong, but we might not get it exactly figured out just right. I believe that the Lord is coming again. I believe in a pre-tribulational rapture. I believe the Lord will take his church out of here before the tribulation begins. I'm a firm believer that during the tribulation time that God's going to finish the work with Israel that he started a long time ago. And my timeline for all that comes out of the book of Daniel. In Daniel, 70 weeks of years. There's one week of years that's not been completed to finish everything up. And God will work through Israel once again. And there are those out there that think the church has replaced Israel. And there's a lot more we go into all that road. But literally, I'm the one preaching up here. So I'm telling you the way I believe it is. And, you know, I had someone a few weeks ago arguing with me about pre, you know, post-trib, mid-trib, all those things. I don't really try to get into arguments with people because normally the ones who get into the arguments... They just want to prove their point, and you're never going to get anywhere with them. And so I just said, if it so happens that we are here. No, I said, if the, pre, if the pre-tribulation rapture happens in heaven, you can find me and tell me I was right. I'll accept that then. And then if for some reason we're still here, I'll find you, and we'll do the same. The big thing is, know Jesus Christ. Have your future settled. And a bit more at that. But what we've done is, if you remember, at the end of chapter number 11, we're getting down to the final judgment of God going to be unleashed on earth. And then it's like the Lord in the book of Revelation goes back and he talks about, remember the woman, the child, and the dragon. And I mentioned to you that that woman represents the nation of Israel, the child represents Jesus, and the dragon, of course, is the devil. 
And the, Lord, and the devil's been trying his best to wipe out the woman and her seed because of what it represents. And then we saw in chapter number 13 there, we saw about the Antichrist, the first beast, and then the second beast, the false prophet. And we've seen how they are going to work. So it's going back and telling us greater details about what we've already studied earlier on in chapter 6 and 7 of Revelation there in chapter number 13. And then in chapter 14, we're getting ready now, and as we get into chapter 15, God's final judgment's coming. And God's going to unleash his wrath on earth. And, you know, one of the reasons why I believe that I believe in a pre-tribulational rapture in that is not because Christians are special people. And that Christians should miss out on everything that takes place. Because I don't think Christians have missed out on what's been taking place for over 2,000 years. And there are Christians in the world today that are being persecuted for their faith today. We are very blessed where we are today. But this is not, this is not the normal. We have very easy in Christianity today. Before too long, I don't believe it's going to be that way. And that's where we need to toughen up just a little bit. We, you know, government says stay home and don't go to church. Oh, I'll stay home. And we stay home, no problem. We better get a little tougher because the government someday is not going to be because of some disease. It's going to be because they say you just can't. What do you do then? You go to church. You do what's right. That's what Christians have done for 2,000 years. And we need to continue and endure hardness as good soldiers of Jesus Christ. And so, but what I say all of that, some people say, well, you just think that Christians aren't going to endure. Do you realize when Jesus died on the cross that the wrath of God was placed on Jesus Christ on the cross. And he cried out some words on the cross. Remember, it was three words. It is finished. In Greek, it's not three words like that, but for us, it's three words. It is finished. Which means he paid the price. Jesus took the wrath of God so that you and I would not have to endure the wrath of God. And that's, as we look at chapter 15, it is the shortest chapter in the book of Revelation. It's leading, and I know chapters were added later on, so don't get too crazy thinking there's some special thing about it. I don't know who decided how long the chapter should be and things like that. There's a certain place in the Bible I look at, I'm like, why did they end a chapter right there? I don't believe the chapter marks are inspired. I believe the words are inspired by God. But I'm grateful that someone put chapters and verses so we could find it easier. So let's read tonight chapter 15. And, some of, and I hope that you've been reading your Bible during the week, but some of you, this could be, you could say you read a chapter of the Bible this week. Here we go, chapter 15, verse 1. And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. And I saw as it were a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast, and over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou art holy, 
For all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. And after that I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was open. And the seven angels came out of the temple, having the seven plagues, clothed in pure and white linen, and having their breastgird with golden girdles. And one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials full of the wrath of God, who liveth forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. Father, I pray you bless the next few minutes that we have tonight. We love you. We need you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your goodness and your love for us. We thank you for Jesus and the difference he made in our lives. And tonight as we study out this passage, help us to see some things here. I also pray that you would guide my thoughts and the words that I say. It's very easy to go through these verses, Lord, and for someone like me to confuse more people than to give clarity. And I pray that you'd give us clarity tonight. And as that psalm says, that you would open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your law tonight. We love you. We need you. We praise you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We see the fact that judgment is coming. It's all going to come to an end. It's all before our eyes. And as we look at this passage tonight and we see the seven angels and these seven last plagues, I'm going to give you a basic outline. We'll go through it. We'll be done tonight. Number one, as we start out, we see a sign of judgment. A sign of judgment. We look back at verse number one. It says, And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. Verse seven talks about those seven golden vials full of the wrath of God who liveth forever and ever. You notice he said he saw another sign. So throughout the book of Revelation, there are other signs that John has seen. There's another word used with the same meaning. It says sign here, but other places the word wonder is used. It's the same Greek word. And you remember in chapter number 12, it talks about there, if we were to go back to chapter 12 and just look, it says, and there appeared a great wonder in heaven. That's the same word as the word sign here. And so we see that this is another sign, another wonder taking place. And John tells us that this vision and what he sees, what, how does he describe it here? He says that it's great and it's marvelous. Do you see that right there? The word great means that it's important and that it's astonishing. The word marvelous has the idea of something to be wondered at. And so John, as he sees this other sign here, he's looking at it, and it's great and marvelous, and John's calling our attention to it because what we're looking at here is something great and amazing and marvelous that God's going to do. And so that's why he wants us, and that's what this is all about. You see, as we finish the last chapter, if you remember we mentioned, remember that white cloud and Jesus being on that white cloud and him coming to reap the harvest and then him pressing down the wine press of the wrath of God and all those that will die in chapter number 14, the end of it's referring to the battle of Armageddon that's going to take place. And so before we get 
to that battle, which we'll see some of it in chapter 16 and in chapter 19. We'll see it in both of those. We'll also see more about the one world government and the one world church in chapter 17 and 18 as well as we keep building and go forward with this thing. But as we look at this, we see that it's coming. The judgment's coming. We see that he's going to come to reap his harvest. But before this happens, we see a little glimpse back up into heaven for a moment. And it's almost like as the Lord talks about his wrath and what's going to take place, I love how in the book of Revelation, it stops for a minute. Because when you start thinking about, as it mentions, the end of chapter number 14, that almost for the space of 180 to 200 miles, and up to the bridle of a horse, that's how much blood is going to be shed in that battle. And then what the Lord does is, he turns our attention again to heaven. And heaven's going to be a wonderful place, isn't it? God's wrath will not be in heaven. But God's wrath will be unleashed on earth. So as we look here tonight, we see a sign of judgment. With that sign, the first thing that we see, letter A, is we see final judgment. We see the fact there, it says, For in them, in, these last, in, the, last, in the seven last plagues, For in them is filled up the wrath of God. You see these seven angels, and these angels have the seven last plagues. The word plague means a hitting or a wound. What we see here is God hitting the earth and wounding the earth with judgment that's coming. God is lashing out. He's punishing the earth and the world system. Like we look today, and you look at the wicked going on in our world and you look and you're like how can people get away with the things that they do have you ever thought that before they're not getting away with anything and god you reap what you sow and be not deceived god's not mocked whatsoever a man soweth that shall he also reap the scriptures say and so god is going he is just and since he's just he is fair and just in all that he does and that day's coming that judgment day's coming it's interesting to note that in verse 1 it says that these judgments, the wrath of God, it says it's filled up. Do you see that phrase right there, filled up? That word filled up there is the verb form of, remember when Jesus was on the cross and he cried out, it is finished? That word finished, the word here, telos, is where it comes from. The same word used by Jesus when he's dying on the cross when he cried that out, but here what it's saying is God's judgment is ending now. This is the end of it. So like it was used how Jesus finished paying the price for our sin, it's used here saying judgment is going to be final here. Judgment will be finished as well. It's filled up as it says here. So it's used here to signify completion. When these last seven plagues come to the earth, God's judgment on the world will be finished. It's the end of the tribulation as we know it. We see that it is the final judgment. We also see, letter B, it's complete judgment. You'll notice that there in verse number 7, when it talks about these things, it says these vials, or you could call them a bowl. Some people refer to them as bowls. They are full of the wrath of God. It means to be swelled. There is no room left. They are full. 
It's like you ever see, like I see some of the kids when they get hot chocolate here. Have you seen some of them with their cups? Let me teach you guys a little lesson, some of you kids. If you're, because sometimes, did you have anything to put in the hot chocolate tonight, or is it just hot chocolate? It's just hot chocolate. There are times he's got marshmallows over here. There's times he's got lots of different things. And sometimes, though, someone will, someone will fill their cup to the very brim and then try to stick marshmallows or whipped cream on top of that. And there's no room left. It's going to spill over. And that's where I watch, and it's a miracle some nights, just like a Red Sea miracle, seeing kids walk with their cups that are, and I'm like, here goes the carpet again. And it doesn't, because they fill the cup too full, and it can swell over. The vials, the bowls of God's wrath are full to the brim. And it's building. You look at, do you see how this world, how it mocks God? And do you ever get upset? Does it ever bother you seeing this world treat God the way they do? His book the way they do? Treat, how do you think God feels? Say, but he is merciful. He's long-suffering. He is. But there comes a day when that long-suffering is done. And the judgment's coming. So we see his final judgment. It's complete judgment. Let's move on to number two. We see that this is coming, but we take a break, and now we hear a song of rejoicing. Do you know that's what heaven's going to be full of, singing to the Lord? If you don't like singing now, I don't know what you're going to do in heaven, because that's what it's going to be. And I know some of you are thinking, well, in heaven I'll have a perfect voice. Maybe. You might be making a perfect noise up there. I don't know what that's going to sound like. It's a good thing to sing to the Lord. And it's a good thing to do it now. If you can't do it now, are you going to be able to do it later? You will. We're going to do it for all eternity. That's why I sing to the Lord. Give, sing your very best to Him. Worship Him. He is worthy of it. In heaven, that's all we're going to be doing. We're going to be singing. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. We'll be singing to Him. And here we see, the Bible talks about here, about this song. We see, first of all, letter A, is there, we see, we'll get there in a minute. I was thinking about where I was going with all these things. Look at what it says about them who are singing this song. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire. Now, when we think about a sea of glass, the sea of glass refers to something that's settled, right? So in the Old Testament, there was a laver that you would wash at, Right? And when water is moving, you, that's, it pictures what's taking place. In heaven, the sea is like glass, clear as crystal. Because Jesus has washed us all clean, and we don't have to clean ourselves anymore. This being mingled with fire is God's judgment we see before us here. But you'll notice as we look here that look at who's doing this. It says there, who's going to sing this song? It says, and, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name standing on the sea of glass having the harps of God. The tribulation saints are going to be the ones that are singing right here. Now, we could go back and look. We could go back to, um, 
chapter 5. And you see that those that are in heaven at that time will be singing. That's us. And they're going to be singing a song that no one else can sing. The 144,000, they sing a song. But their song's a little bit different. Israel's song, the song of Moses, it's a little bit different too, right? Because we've been redeemed and, and you've got to understand something. There are those out there that teach that we're saved in different ways. As in Old Testament, you were saved by keeping the law. That's baloney. Okay? That's not, no one's ever kept the law. No one could keep the law good enough to ever be saved. Remember what, remember what Abraham said when his son was, God's going to provide himself a lamb. God's going to provide himself a sacrifice. The Old Testament saints looked forward to the day that the Messiah was going to come. We look back to the Messiah. And during the tribulation, it's going to be the same. I've heard, I heard someone just a couple weeks ago try to sit down and explain how people get saved in different dispensations. And that's, if you don't know what the word dispensation means, thank God you don't know what it means and just leave it there. Because some people, they, I'm a dispensational this and that, and just, you, if, just don't, don't get carried away. And if you don't know what the word means, just thank God and just read the Bible and go with what the Bible says. And what some people try to do, and I honestly, I'll be honest with you, I think a lot of people try to be well-meaning in the things that they do, but it's like they have to understand every little thing that God does. Last time I checked, you and I are nowhere near God. And the best thought that you or I could ever have doesn't compare to the worst thought God could ever have. We're on different playing fields, and we'll never be on the same field. But some people feel like they need to have every detail figured out about God. It's okay, and that's what faith is. So, and you know what their answer to me on that is? That's just your cop-out right there. Maybe so, maybe no. I don't know. But all I know is, this is what the Bible says, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If Jesus is the only way today, he's going to be the only way during the tribulation, and he was the only way in the Old Testament. What does the Bible say about God? I am the Lord, I change not. So if salvation today is by grace through faith, and it's in Jesus Christ, then that's how it's always been. And yes, they had to wait for Christ to die, right? Talk about Abraham's bosom, we could go down that road and things, and the Holy Spirit not staying with someone in the Old Testament like it does today. Once Christ died, it was all finished and accomplished. So they, these tribulation saints are going to be the ones that are singing during this time. And we look at, they're going to go through a lot. The Antichrist is going to want them dead. The devil's going to want them dead. They're not going to take his mark. And there's so much that could be said here. And so as we look at them here, we see the fact that they sing the song of Moses, it says, and then they sing the song of the Lamb. If you're wondering what the song of Moses is, you can write down your notes, Exodus 15. And later on, you can go read Exodus 15, and that would be the song of Moses there. And then we see also the song of the Lamb here. When we look at the song that they sing, I want to look at what it has to do with, which we see letter A. They sing this song, letter A, go back there, letter A. They sing of his works. We see that there in verse number 3. And they sing the songs of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works. You notice what John said a little bit earlier? I saw a vision, I saw, I saw this sign from God, and it was great and marvelous. 
And do you know everything that God does is great and marvelous? It is. God is good. Everything that God does is good. You say, if God is so good, then why are things so bad here on earth? Imagine what it would be like if there was no God. Those that have lost family members over the last week, and tomorrow I'm doing the service for Barbara's husband. They're married 65 years. Imagine if there was no heaven. Imagine if there was no God. God didn't mess this thing up. Mankind messed this thing up. God made everything good. Man chose to sin. You say, well, I just wouldn't have put the tree in the garden. I know it would have been nice if it wasn't there. But what is free will? Oh, I don't want to get carried away on free will. We'll leave that alone. That's another topic that we go down that road. I had someone the other day, I was at the police department because I'm a chaplain there, and I did the Bible study. And the Bible study was on, we're going through the armor of God, so I talked about our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And some people would say that that has to do with your readiness to go share the gospel. My take is that you need to have the assurance of your salvation and be confident in your salvation to have a good footing. And so I basically, since we talked about that, at the PD, when you've got a Bible study going on, there are lots of different people with lots of different thoughts. But since I was talking about the gospel of peace, I got to go through what the gospel is entirely and the importance of them knowing what the gospel is and trusting Christ, even though there are some there that they don't think of Christ the way I do. I could still mention that because it was part of the message right there and it was a good spot for it. But when I got done, one of the guys came up to me and he's like, as you were talking there, I really thought you were a Calvinist. And then he's like, by the very end, I wasn't worried anymore. I'm like, okay, good, whatever that means. And so I thought that was pretty funny. And so, man, you're getting a lot of big words tonight. Calvinist, dispensationalist, tribulation, pre-trib, all that good stuff. And uh, just love Jesus. You won't go wrong loving Jesus. And yes, there's doctrine. Doctrine matters. But then there's other things. Just make sure you got your doctrine straight where it needs to be. They sing of his works and what the Lord does. It's great and marvelous. We see that they also sing letter B. They sing of his ways. It says, just and true are his ways. Aren't you grateful to know that God is just and true in the way he does things? No, the longer I live and the more you see this corrupt system around us. Like, I, I sincerely believe the idea of America and the setup of the government of America and how it was all set up, I think it's the greatest out of any country in the whole world. And I think a lot of it was based on the Bible. And I think it's awesome. But you see, as corrupt people do it, it makes even good sets of laws and good things look bad. Like we look at our judicial system today. Our judicial system should follow the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. That's what they should follow. Most people, judges, and politicians don't even know what it is anymore. And that's why when you see a judge sometimes, and we talk about all these different things going on, well, that judge is a left-leaning judge. I don't care if a judge is left-leaning or right-leaning. It's not their job to judge based on being left or right. It's their job to judge based on the Constitution of the United States. But that's not how it works anymore. They, they go and they have their slants. It's just like you could have the Supreme Court and you have 
far right and far left, all in the same court. And they can look at the same thing, and they view it completely opposite. Now, I don't think the Constitution is what they view it through the views it opposite. It's their own views that do it. But I am glad to know that God doesn't lean to the left. He doesn't lean to the right. He is fair and just in all that he does. That's what they were singing about. You're our true. Your ways are just. And they're singing about the Lord this way. And after all that they went through as well, that's something to say. They sing of his wonder there in verse number four. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? They exalt his greatness and magnify God. He is the only one that is worthy to be praised. They sing of his worship. It says there, For thou art holy, for all nations shall come and worship before thee. And someday every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And then we see, lastly there, they sing of his wrath and its coming. Remember, weren't these the ones earlier as we read? Lord, when are you going to get vengeance for what's taken place? And what did, Jesus, what did the Lord say? Just wait a little longer. Well, the little longer is over now. The time has come. And so we see here tonight a sign of judgment. We see a song of joy. And then lastly tonight, we see a vision or a sign of justice. You'll notice with me, if you look, it says, and after that, after the singing in heaven, John looks and what does he see? And behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was open. What John sees is, he sees the tabernacle in heaven. Now may I remind you, the one that Moses and the children of Israel had in the Old Testament was fashioned after the temple already in heaven. All the parts about it are already in heaven. So in all reality, the tabernacle, the altar, all these things, those were literally copies of the real one in heaven. And so as we look at this, we see these things. And you notice the testimony there. Do you see what it says there? It says the temple, the tabernacle, of the testimony. The testimony of the law that was handed down to Moses at Mount Sinai. The law was God's standard for living. And the law was, what does the law do? It was our schoolmaster, right? And showed us that we needed a Savior. The law showcased the fact that we're sinful, that we need a Savior. And the law was given so that we would understand we could never measure up to the holiness of God. God is. So here in heaven, John sees the tabernacle there. He sees, and what did Jesus do? He didn't come to get rid of the law. He came to fulfill it. Because that's what was needed, right? Someone needed to fulfill the law. That's why those who say you had to keep the law in the Old Testament to get saved, no one ever kept the law because if you offend in one area of the law, you offend the whole law. So Jesus Christ fulfilled the law by keeping the law and by fulfilling it, he paid the price for it and made it so we 
could be set free. As we think on that, and we know what Jesus did for us, that's why the Bible talks about in Colossians 2, verse 13 and 14, And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. That's what Jesus did on the cross. He took care of it all. And when we put our faith in the finished work of Calvary's cross and what the Lord did for us, we don't have to keep the law to please God. Now you want to do what's right to please God after all that he's done for you, but you're not keeping the law to be saved. Jesus took care of that for us. You notice that here in this temple, you see it's mentioned that the seven angels appear out of this temple. There in verse 6, And the seven angels came out of the temple, having the seven plagues clothed in pure and white linen, and having their breasts girded with golden girdles. You'll notice that they were clothed in what? What does it say there? Pure and white linen. What does it signify? It signifies who they serve. It signifies the holiness and the purity of God. You notice that they're wearing golden girdles here around their chest. That speaks about the majesty. When you think of gold, you think of majestic and majesty and the glory of the God that they served. You notice that it's the beasts who hand this to them. Who are those beasts? The ones mentioned back in chapter number 4. The one that had a face like a man, the face like an eagle, the face of a calf, and face of a lion. I think those were the four. And they're the ones that are going around the throne of God crying out, holy, 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 and been doing that way back in time and still doing it to this day. And as they're doing this, we see, as we close out the chapter here, it says that one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials full of the wrath of God, who liveth forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God. Kind of reminds us of what took place in the Old Testament, right? How the temple was filled with, remember the tabernacle was in place and it was filled with smoke and no one could enter in? And it says there, and from his power, and no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven. And you know what this is saying? Time's up. Judgment has come. There is no more time. You can't get saved now. Time's up. You know, as we close out this chapter, reminded of what the Bible and what Jesus said back in the book of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 25, he talks about the ten virgins there. I want to give you this parable, and we'll be done here in just a minute. He says this in Matthew 25, then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise, and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamp and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. 
But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. When the temple in heaven is filled with the glory of God, no one else can be saved at that point. I would encourage you to be like the wise ones here and have your bags packed ready to go and not be like the foolish virgins here who waited till the last minute and then when they went to go get the oil that they needed, it was too late. Reminds me of another story in the Bible. For years, Noah warned about a flood coming. He was a preacher of righteousness, the Bible says. So, well, Pastor, do you think anyone else could have gotten on that boat? If he's preaching righteousness, I think God would have let others get on that boat. They didn't. When the door shut, there was nothing else that could be done. And there will come a day when it will be too late. Be sure you know that you're saved. I think it was excellent today. I heard I wasn't in chapel, Johnny, but I heard you talk about salvation some today. I think it's good for kids to hear that and to be, be assured of their salvation. And I don't try to scare someone out of their salvation. If you're saved, you're saved, and you know that you're saved. And the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're the children of God. But I also know that if Jesus had 12 and one had a devil in him, I wouldn't be shocked if there's some that are not saved sitting in this room. Be sure that you're saved. Be sure you're trusting in Christ and Him alone. And don't wait till it's too late. Next week we'll see judgment starts to be unleashed, the final judgment. We thought it was bad already when those horses and, you know, the symbols of those horses and a third of the population died and a third of the trees and all these things. Wait till the vials full of God's wrath are unleashed on earth. And that's what we'll study next. Father.